morning, everyone. Welcome. Are you feeling grateful this morning? Wow. One, one person's grateful. Okay. Do you have the joy of the Lord yet? Hopefully you do. I was super encouraged. I love that, that last song that we, we sang, Plead the Blood. What an amazing, amazing song. The lyrics are awesome. Um, we'll, we'll find that we're going to actually talk a little bit briefly the, uh, today about where that story or where that song, the lyrics come from, the, the blood of the lamb that got covered over the, the doorposts and uh, the, the Passover and all that. So just a, a rich, rich song this morning. But that was my question on my notes here is, do you, do you feel grateful? Are you joy filled this morning? And that was a question I wanted to ask because I believe that is the goal of the Christian life, Right. To live with God in a joy and peace-filled relationship. That is why Christ Jesus died and resurrected. He died to give us a joy-filled relationship with God where we can know that by God's grace, because of Jesus, God is always glad to be with us. He will always be happy to see us and be with us. Relationship, as Wes said in his intro, that is what the gospel promises to us. It doesn't promise us rainbows and unicorns, right? It doesn't promise us that everything is going to be honky-dory all the time. That's not what Jesus said. In fact, right before he died in John 16, Jesus tells us what to expect, and it's quite contrary than rainbows and unicorns. He says, here's what you need to expect as he's facing down the cross. He says, in this life, you will have trouble. In this life, you will have trouble, but in that same phrase, he he comes on the back side of it and he says, but I want you to take heart because I have overcome the world. In this world, you'll have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Now, if I were to paraphrase kind of all of John chapter 16, this is Levi's paraphrase. I would say, Jesus gathered his disciples together and he says, listen, loved ones, come here. I love you guys. Come here. He said, I want you to know this. Life is going to be a struggle sometimes. I'm, I'm leaving, and it's, it's going to be hard sometimes, but don't you ever lose heart, because I promise I will be with you through the power of my Spirit. I will be glad to be with you in the midst of all of the trouble that you will inevitably face. I will be glad to be with you in that trouble, and I want you to, to remember that I have overcome death. And in just the same way that I overcame death, I will also overcome the troubles that you face in this life. Stay close. Stay faithful, and you will overcome with me. You see, church, the reality is that Jesus and God, they did not promise us a carefree existence in this life. They didn't promise us a life that would be free of strife or trouble. But what they did promise, they said that in this life, you will never walk alone in the midst of your troubles. You will never be alone. They will supply our hearts with joy and peace and the power to stand up with gratitude and thanksgiving in the midst of trouble. I need you folks to hear me on this. This promise of relationship. God says, I promise you will never walk alone. The promise of relationship, it is vastly different than what a lot of us think or a lot of us desire when we step into a room like this to do the Christian thing. It's different. Many folks don't desire a relationship. Instead, what we want is religion. 
So many folks have an unbiblical view of what Christ died and raised to give us, and we wrongly believe that Christ died and raised to give us religion. Do you know why religion is so powerful? It's incredibly powerful. And when I say religion, I'm talking about all of the rule following and the traditions that surround faith and worship. So if you have a spiritual checklist, that's what religion is. It says, do this and you, you can expect, do X and you can expect that Y will happen. Do you know why religion is so powerful? It's because it boils God down to a formula of empty religious rules and empty religious traditions, where again, if you just do X, then you can expect Y will happen. You see, religion is an attempt to control God, to make Him predictable, to control our lives, make our lives predictable. See, no one likes to feel out of control. We don't like to feel out of control, do we? The future is scary. The unknown is scary. And so we love religion. We love it. We love it because it gives us a roadmap for how to maintain some semblance of control in our life. Do this, don't do that, and you can know exactly what's going to happen. And this morning, we're launching into a new mini-series in our overarching series. We're in a, a season of enriching tradition. So following the church calendar, the seasons of the church calendar throughout the history of the church. So we're, we're doing some traditional stuff this morning. I'm not down on tradition per se. I am down on empty religious tradition. So we're going to enrich that tradition, right? Breathe some new life back into it. So that's our overarching series. And then the, the mini-series that we're in this morning, we're, we're going to look over the next few weeks and examine what are the things and the thinking and behaviors that steal our joy in Jesus, the enemies of gratitude. What are those things? And today we're going to be in the book of Exodus. We're going to look back at two different chapters, Exodus 16, verses 1 through 3, Exodus 17, verses 1 through 7. And as we look at those verses, I want to show you how religion leads to grumbling, glorifying the past, and fearfully mistrusting God in the present. Whereas relationship, which is what Christ offers to us, leads to gratitude, glorifying God rather than our past, and faithfully trusting Him in the present. So hopefully as we read these passages and we work through it together, you will see the enemies of gratitude this morning. I was only supposed to take one, but we've got four this morning, so buckle up, right? We're going to look at the enemies of gratitude. They are this, religion, grumbling, nostalgia, and fear. The antidotes to those four things are relationship, gratitude, glorifying God, and faith. So with all that in mind, I invite you to turn to your Bibles. We'll start in chapter 16. As you're turning there, let me fill you in a little bit on the context of where we find ourselves and kind of what's going on. We're going to read about a nation called Israel. Israel, that's the, the Jewish nation, so the Jewish people. These are the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You can read about that in Genesis. And we, we come to them in Exodus. We discover in our text this morning that they have been in Egypt for 400 years as slaves. There was some pretty terrible stuff going on for them as a people. Talk about trouble. Jesus said, in this life you'll have trouble. They knew what trouble was. Israel had found themselves in Egypt by the provision of the Lord. If you know, kind of remember the story of Joseph right? Joseph's brothers sell him into slavery because he was kind of a, an arrogant, not-so-nice younger brother who'd like to boast about what God was going to do for him and the favoritism of his father. So his, his 11 brothers sell him into slavery. And through a 
series of sovereign events that the Lord kind of orchestrates and moves along with Joseph, he winds up as second in command of the superpower, the United States of the ancient Near East, Egypt, for just such a time as this. You say, what is that time? Well, there's a famine. And God gave Pharaoh a vision that Joseph interprets, and then he becomes the second in command, and God puts him in a position of power so that he can provide for his people, Israel, so that when the famine strikes the entire world, Israel is, or Egypt is prepared. They have storehouses of grain. They're ready to provide, and God sends his people, Israel, to Egypt, and they discover that one of the sons of Israel is in power, and they find safe refuge there. And Joseph tells him what you all planned for evil. My God orchestrated for good, and it was incredible good. And the years pass, and Joseph dies, and so does the Pharaoh that knew Joseph and loved the people of Israel. And a new man comes into power, and Israel continues to be blessed, and they grow more numerous, and the the new Pharaoh starts to get fearful. And he starts to think, what if Israel wants to overthrow us? They certainly have the numbers to do so. And so he turns his fear into control and seeks to control Israel, and he turns them into slaves. And it gets really, really bad for Israel. For 400 years, we're told, that the the, the new Pharaoh and the the new nation of, of Egypt, they treat Israel brutally. They go so far as to institute, to population control Israel because they're growing too fast and too numerous to control them from a population standpoint. The leader of Egypt institutes an abortion ban on all male children that are Israelites. Any male to be born to an Israelite was to be terminated. Late-term abortion. He instructs the Egyptian midwives to kill all male babies born to the Israelite women. Church, listen. We are living in new days, but the demons and the ways they corrupt and carry on their wickedness are quite old. History repeats itself. This is a little bit of an aside this morning, but I have to mention it here because it's related. In November, there is an election happening, and on the ballot in Ohio, there is an issue that we will all have the opportunity to vote upon. It is not a red issue. It is not a blue issue. It is an issue between good and evil. Friend, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, I'll remind you that you are a Christian before you are a Democrat or before you are a Republican, or at least you should be. If you're a believer, you will vote no on issue one. And I don't say that as a Republican or a Democrat, but I say that as one who stands on the Word of God. Issue one, and I have flyers out in the back if you want to read more up on it. It's not a, it's not a Democrat or Republican issue. Issue one is an attempt to put on Ohio's constitution rights to abortion for adults and minors up to nine months into the pregnancy and to remove from parents their right to protect their children from electing to have an abortive procedure or removing the rights from parents to protect their children from undergoing genital mutilation surgery, which people call a sex change operation. It's genital mutilation even if it's done with a scalpel at the hands of a surgeon, folks. I need you to know, I will never politicize this pulpit. 
That's not why I exist. I exist to preach the gospel, and this church exists to preach the gospel. We won't, and we cannot legally give money to certain candidates. I'm not going to tell you which candidates to support. I'm not going to do that. This church will never throw our support behind a political party or behind a political ideology. Again, we don't exist for that. But on matters of morality, of truth, we as a church and a 501c3 nonprofit are allowed to tell you about issues of good and evil. And so when issues of good and evil arise in our world and we are given a voice to stand for the good and to stand with the Bible and to stand for the good as God himself defines it, then you better believe this church is going to take a stand and preach the truth. All that to say, I don't care what party you align yourself with. This is not a partisan issue. It's an issue about human beings being created in the image of God, having the right to life. We believe in life here, church, not a culture of death. We believe in a right to life. And we believe in the God-given right responsibility and authority that God has given to parent their children. The state cannot parent your child. That is not their responsibility. It's ours to protect and guide and instruct our children in the ways of the Lord. And so when the government steps in and tries to codify murder of the innocent and to remove a parent's authority to supersede a parent's God-given authority in their rights to protect their children, then we're going to stand up against that. This church, and I believe this from my heart, God himself stands against issue one because we stand for life of all people at every age, every race, and we stand for parental authority, the protection of our children. This church and God himself stand against issue one, and so should you all if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. And again, I say that not as a, it's not a partisan issue, folks. If we're going we're to stand in the word of God and proclaim the truth in love, or are we not? And if you're a believer in Jesus, if you love Jesus, he wants you to cast your vote against issue one because it's wrong. It's wrong. If you want more, more info on this, I've got sheets printed out in the back. You can say, where does it say this? I've got a sheet that says that. You can say, can, can Levi say that from the pulpit? And it's, Actually, I can, and I've got papers up there that, that support all of that stuff. So you can, you can check that out. All that to say, the Israelites, they were not afforded such rights as you and I have to help mold and shape the direction of their future in a country, right? Pharaoh said, this is what's going to happen, and it's going to happen. We have an opportunity. We don't live under a pharaoh. We live under a representative democracy, and we have an opportunity to say, no, we stand for this. We want this, right? They didn't have that opportunity. And so when the pharaoh said, hey, we're going to abort all your babies, they didn't have a voice to say that. And pharaoh did. He murdered their male children through racially forced uh, abortion. And this injustice and plight against Israel happened for 400 years. That is, until God sends a man named Moses to command this unjust, power-hungry Pharaoh to let his people go. 
From there, you're probably loosely familiar with the story. God sends ten plagues upon Egypt. The last plague culminates in what is known as the Passover, the angel of death, the Passover plague, where the angel of death comes to Egypt, and unless you follow God's plan for protection, right, killing a lamb and spreading its blood over your doorpost, the angel would kill every firstborn in the family and in animals' kingdom. All the firstborn, humans, animals, the angel of death took them all out, including the Pharaoh's son, unless you spread the the blood of the lamb over your doorpost. And that was the last straw. Pharaoh finally agrees to free God's people. But on their escape from Egypt, as Israel's heading out, They face death by Egyptian soldiers that are pursuing them from behind or drowning in a giant ocean, essentially, in front of them. That is until God says, nope, I've got you. He has Moses part the Red Sea. And we're told that the Israelites walk through on dry ground. We're also told that the army of Pharaoh follows in hot pursuit right behind them and the walls of the water come crashing down on them and destroy all of the world's superpower army of that day in one fell swoop. The army of the superpower. We're told the riders of Egypt, their horses and chariots are thrown into the sea. And God defeats them all. God then leads them, we're told after this, by a visible cloud during the day and a pillar of fire by night. Imagine like a tornado of fire that he sets around his people and he leads them by this. I want you to imagine, as an Israelite, the miracles that you have just witnessed. The pillar of cloud by fire and, and night. The parting of the Red Sea. The ten plagues. Imagine all of that. When God has freed you from 400 years of murder and slavery, and now you are free to walk with God, to take back the land that He promised So long ago to give to your forefathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You're free to worship the Lord as you desire. This is their current state. Everything that they had just witnessed. Miraculous power. Powerful deliverance. Look at how they respond to the Lord in Exodus 16, verse 1. The whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after they'd come out of Egypt, they're two weeks into this, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. It was like a buffet there. This never ending golden corral all the time. But you've brought us out into the desert to starve. You, came to, you brought us out here to starve our entire assembly to death. A little bit of hunger. Staring at an empty pantry. And instantly, everything that they've just witnessed goes out the window. And they begin to grumble. Fear overtakes them. And rather than trusting God in relationship, they grumble. They glorify their past. And they respond with fearful mistrust in the present. And yet, God lovingly provides for them. You can read about all this in Exodus 16. God says, all right, I hear you. I hear all your grumbling, right? I'm going to send manna. And so in the morning, dew would come upon the ground. And then this wafer-like bread would, would just like 
sprout up there. I was told it says it, it tasted like honey every single morning, except for on the Sabbath. Not on the Sabbath. Don't work on the Sabbath. God says, I want you to rest. Collect enough the day before so you have enough to eat. He sends manna. And he says, also, I know you don't just, you're not just, you don't want to load up, load up on carbs, right? We got some Atkins people, right? <laughs> right? He says, I'll send quail in the evening. Manna in the morning, flocks of quail apparently just descend and keel over. And it's like, here, eat me, right? It's crazy. Every single morning, he provides for them miraculously manna and quail every day. Every day. And you would think that after this miraculous provision, after this show of love and care, you would think that Israel would begin to live with gratitude and give glory to God and respond to him in faith through relationship. But look at how they respond just one more chapter later. Again, when trouble strikes, we discover where their hearts are at. Exodus 17. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin. Traveling from place to place, just as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. And so they quarreled with Moses, and they said, give us water to drink. And Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make our children and our livestock die of thirst? And then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord answers Moses, go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff which you struck the Nile with and turned it to blood. Take that staff and go. I will, send, I, I will stand there before you at, by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders, and he called the place Massah and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? I want you to look back with me more closely at this text, and we'll examine just a little bit more. The enemies that steal our joy, our gratitude, and our faith. In verse 1, in verse 1, I think we see semblances of our first problem. I, I'll admit I'm stretching this a little bit here from just this verse. But if we take this verse in context, I believe I have a right to, to tell you what I'm going to tell you. In verse 1, I think we see where Israel's heart is. I think they want religion, church. I think they're craving religion. Verse 1 says, this whole community, they set out from the desert, and they're traveling place by place, just as the Lord has commanded them. God had called them out into the wilderness to be his people. And you've got to understand the context here. In Exodus 6-7, we tell us why God called his people out. We, we get a glimpse into his heart. He didn't want a bunch of mindless, religious, rule-following robots. No, he wanted to lead them out so that, look at verse 7 of, of chapter 6. He says, I'm the Lord, verse 6, I'm the Lord. I'll bring you out of Egypt from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves, and I'll redeem you with an outstretched hand and my mighty acts of judgment. I'll do it. Why? I will make you as my own people. I want you to be my people, and I will be your God. I'm freeing you to be in relationship with me, for you to be my people and me to be your God, and us to interact with one another in relationship. 
See, God was offering to these people relationship, but they miss it. They settle for religion, and they're grumbling, and the way they think about their past and their mistrust reveal this to us. So I think with that context of God's heart, I think we as the readers, by the time we get to Exodus 17, we can't help but start to hear and read verse 1 of 17 with a whole lot of resentment in it. The whole Israelite community, they set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place, just as the Lord commanded. Can you hear the resentment? It's almost like the people are building their case against God. Here we are, God. Here we are, out where you led us. We're in this forsaken desert, following all of your commands, packing up every single day, going from place to place, just as you commanded us. Here we are, jumping through your hoops, following your rules, following all these traditions that you've given to us, and look where it's gotten us. More trouble. There's no water. Grumble. Grumble, grumble, grumble. Church, this is the result of religion. This is the result of thinking that God and Jesus have offered to you and I a list of rules to follow. This is what happens when you follow religious formulas that God has never promised and that aren't biblical. If you and I are not careful we can so easily slip into this religious thinking too, just like the Israelites. Where we can start to think if we do X, then we can guarantee that Y will happen. If we follow all of God's rules, then we'll experience free and easy living. If we practice all the right religious traditions, then we'll live pain-free, health, wealth, and prosperity. If we do all the right things, then our lives will be safe, they'll be predictable, They'll be controllable. We will be comfortable. And do you know what this kind of thinking will do to your heart, friend? Do you know what religion will do to your soul? It will steal your joy. It will fill you with grumbling. Why? Because you're going to begin to feel like God is holding out on you. After all I've done. Remember from last week. God, I'm doing what you've commanded And look at this. I'm going to die of thirst in this desert that you led me to. Grumble, grumble, grumble. And if this weren't bad enough, church, it gets worse. Not only will you start to turn into a crotchety, grumpy old man, and you will, you're also going to start to relive your glory days with rose-colored glasses. You're going to start to look back on your captivity, whatever that captivity was. The bondage that you used to live in sin, you're going to start to look back on that with longing. You're going to start to glorify your past and misremember or selectively remember your past bondage to sin. God, look at this trouble I'm in. After all I've done for you, look at this. I wish I was back in Egypt. There, right? All you can eat, Ponderosa buffet. We sat around pots and meat, pots of meat, pots of stew, all we could eat. Oh, that we were back in Egypt, they say. You see, in our grumbling, we'll start to get nostalgic for the slavery that we're in. We'll start to think wrongly. The grass was so much greener back then. And then as we focused on an idealized Norman Rockwell version of our past, that's not true. 
We'll begin to mistrust God and allow fear to take control of us. And that church, once fear is in control, good luck experiencing joy, peace, or gratitude in Jesus. See, this is where the roadmap of religion leads us. You live to follow a bunch of empty religious rules, thinking that if you do, that you can control God and live safe and predictable in the present. But then life happens. Trouble eventually comes, and we're caught off guard. And after all I've done, here you are, God, giving me this. Rather than focusing on the glory and power and might of our God, we focus on how good it was in the past. We get to get grumpy. We begin to become fearful, mistrustful. And we just start to grumble more and more against God. And before we get so hard on Israel, it's easy to read this and think, how dumb are you guys, right? That's what I read. It's like, what is your guys' problem? If only I could see the miracles you saw. Man, I'd live with a lot more trust. Careful. Check your heart, Levi. Right? This is a picture of where our hearts always go. You see, church, the Bible doesn't just tell us what happened. The Bible tells us what always happens every single time. This is what our heart does. This is where it leads us. It, our default is religion. We always default to empty religious rule following, to empty religious traditions because we long for safe, predictable, comfortable, and controllable. As bad as Egypt was, as bad as it was, the wilderness that God leads them into, that's a scary place. The unknown of the future is scary, isn't it? It is. Many of us would rather go back to Egypt in our own lives, metaphorically. We'd rather go back to Egypt because we know it, yeah, it was sinful and it was bondage, but at least I knew, I knew what to expect. And we begin to long for that, even though God invites us out into the wilderness to walk by faith and experience adventure. That unknown is terrifying to us. It's terrifying to live by faith, isn't it? It is. Lord knows the fight for faith is a tough one. Where our country appears to be headed. I've heard you talk. I, I feel it. The trouble we're facing in our world economy. Socially, the riots that have just happened in, in Philadelphia. It's crazy. The political scene. The confusion about sexuality that pervades our culture. Folks, we're in the wilderness. It's scary. Inflation is scary. I don't know about you, but I think inflation is outpacing what, what the wages and, and the, the raises that we're experiencing. It's, it's, it's a struggle to know sometimes, is it gonna, are the ends going to meet? The wilderness is scary. Where are we going next? What troubles around the bend? It's scary. And church, if you settle for religion, it ain't going to get any better for you. Grumble, 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 grumble. Kids these days, this next generation, grumble, 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 grumble. If only we could go back to the 1950s. Grumble, grumble, this economy, this president, this political party. Grumble, grumble, grumble. God, here we are doing our part, preaching the truth, standing on the word. Grumble, look at our world. Look at where grumble, grumble. What kind of a, what kind of a world, what kind of a country are our kids going to inherit? What about our schools? Grumble, grumble. That's religion. That's the best it has to offer us. A joyless, 
grumbling, mistrusting, fear-filled existence. Church, this is why we are so anxious and depressed. You want to experience joy? Walk by faith, friend. Have faith. Hope in God. It's not the end. Look back on the past, not with rose-colored glasses. Look back with perspective. There was pornography in Rome. They were drawing naked pictures in Rome. They had the same stuff. Homosexuality. They were touching little kids. Pedophilia was happening. It was a mess in Rome. Look back with faith and see the greatness of God. He has maintained a remnant throughout the ages. He loves you. He sent Jesus to die for you. He defeated sin and death and he's coming back church. Have faith. Have faith. Because he did all of that. When we walk through trouble, he says, loved one, do not grumble. Be grateful because I am with you. To the very end of the age, I am with you. You will have trouble, friend. You will have trouble in this life. But take heart. Jesus has overcome the world. He has overcome our lives. He loves us. Now I want to do just one quick thought, experience, thought experiment before we end. What if Israel... What if they would have chosen relationship rather than religion? What if when they opened the pantry and they've got kids crying in the background because their tummies hurt? What if when they opened that pantry and they realized that there was none left? What if rather than grumbling, what if rather than looking back on their bondage, Saying, man, if we could just go back to how it was, to what was safe and predictable, if we could just be slaves in Egypt again, at least we had something to eat. What if rather than mistrusting God, what if they walked by faith? What if when they they experienced that trouble, what if they said in their hearts, Lord, I got hungry kids. We're in a desert. I don't know. There's trouble. This is trouble. This is trouble. What if they look back on their past with an eye to glorify God? Lord, you called us. You chose us. After 400 years of slavery, you heard our prayer. And you delivered us through mighty acts of power. You brought the plagues. You you parted the sea. Could you fill our pantry? I think you will. I'm asking that you will. Lord Jesus, sustain us through this trouble. Do you see the difference, church? It's a subtle change. The one says, here's what I'm doing. I'm doing all of this. God, you're not meeting my expectation. How dare you grumble? The other one says, man, this trouble I'm facing, I have no idea how we're going to get out of this. I'm at my end, Lord. But as I look back to the past, I've seen you come through for me. I'm asking, would you come through again? And do you know what God says to the prayer of faith? I'm here. I see you. 
I love you. And I will be with you. I will take care of you. And time and time and time again, it ain't comfortable. It's not without uncertainty. It's not always super secure. But the Lord Jesus stands up for his people and he delivers them. Now, church, if you're like me, you read this and you think, man, I'm a heck of a lot more like Israel than I would like. Here's the beautiful thing. Even though they're much whining, grumbling, complaining, fear-filled, mistrusting people, God had chosen them. And even though they missed it, even though they failed, God is still gracious to them. He disciplines them, but he still provides. He still cares. I want you to hear that grace this morning. Even when you miss it, even when you let grumbling take over, even when you think about, back about your glory days and you think, man, it was, it was a heck of a lot more fun when I was carrying on, you know, doing my sinful stuff. It was a heck of a lot more certain. I know it wasn't great, but at least I knew what to expect. Even when you fail to live by faith in the present, there's grace for you because of Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? Because of Jesus. Even when we screw up, even when we don't live by faith, when we're not trusting God in the future, he says, even when you're faithless, First Timothy, I will be faithful because of Jesus. And that, friends, is what we live by. So quit grumbling. Focus on the Lord. Be grateful for what he's done. Live by faith. Live by faith. And even if you don't, if the Lord's chosen you, if he's found you, he'll still be gracious. But I want you to know, living by faith, there's a whole lot more joy. There's a whole lot more. It's just a better way to live. It's so much better. You can choose to live in the past. You can choose to live grumpy. And you can still be saved. But it's a, a whole lot more fun. It's a whole lot more peaceful. It's a whole lot more joy-filled to choose faith rather than fear. My prayer for us, myself, for you, is that we would grow in the love, in the knowledge that the love of the love that God has for us. Why? Because His perfect love, it drives out fear. We say, should we get after the enemies of gratitude? Let's put to death religion. Let's put to death grumbling. Let's put to death nostalgia and fear. Let's choose gratitude. Let's choose faith. Let's choose remembering the mighty acts of God so that when trouble hits, when we look above the mountains, we see a God who's a heck of a lot bigger than the troubles we're facing. And we're filled with faith to face the day, to run the race with perseverance for the glory of Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us to that end. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for the grace that you have for us, Lord. I, I know I got a little riled up today. I pray that this morning people would only hear that energy, that zeal with love. I, you did not come to condemn. I do not exist to condemn, Lord Jesus. You've called us to live by faith, to speak the truth in love. And I pray that your truth would be received in love this morning. Lord, we do not want to be a bunch of grumbling people. It is a joyless way to live 
You promised us the enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy, but you came to give us a rich and satisfying life now and into eternity. That doesn't mean we'll live without trouble, as you told us, but it means that even in trouble, because we know that you're glad to be with us, we know your powerful might and sovereignty to work good in and through every situation, that you will always be with us to the very end of the age, even when we face trouble. We can do so with faith, with hope, with love, and with joy. Make us a people who are marked by love. Beat back the fear that is so easy to live by in our life as we look out into the future. Fill us with hope, Lord Jesus. Remind us that you have defeated the enemy, that death has been defeated, that Satan has been defeated. And as dark as this world gets, your light will never be extinguished. Give us hope for tomorrow, faith for today. Make us a people who live for your glory. In your name we pray, amen. You can stand, we'll sing. Well, I've been turned round, but I've never been lost. Seen the water get troubled, but we walked across. When my knees were shaking, you held my hand, turning my problems to a promised land.